Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We are continuing today in the series uh, through the Gospel of John called The Big Reveal. And we've been taking a a really close-up look at Jesus through the eyes of one of Jesus' closest disciples, the Apostle John. And I think today's message will be a really important one for our young church family of uh, only nearly two years old. Um, And I think it's good for us as a church family and as individual Christians to realize that, man, uh, sometimes our priorities... Um, can be off. Sometimes we can lose sight of what should really be at the center of our lives individually and collectively as a church body. Have any of you ever experienced that in in your own life, kind of get out of whack and and lose sight really of what should be at the center of things? Um, If you're uh, not a Christian in here today, or maybe if you're not a member with Reach Life Church, I think this would be a good message for you as well, because if you're sort of investigating Jesus, maybe today you can see Him with fresh eyes. Um, That's always a good thing. And if you're investigating Reach Life Church to see if this is maybe a a church home for you, it'll be a good time for you to see what we intend to be centrally about, what we want to be all about as a church family. So I want to start our time together um, by beginning with something that I think will help us, uh, I hope, uh, be thinking along the right, the right tracks today. A few of you in here know that I enjoy uh, fragrances of all things. A uh, sense of smell for me is really strong, which can be a blessing and a curse, as you might imagine. <laughs> Uh, but I really enjoy uh, fragrances. Um, if you've ever shopped around for those types of things, um, you know that sort of like top shelf kind of fragrances can get really expensive, can they not? Um, and especially like the artistic kind of boutique weirdness that I like, is it tends to be uh, really expensive. So that puts me in a tough spot because I'm on the old, uh, I'm still on the Oakley budget. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so what do I do? I love great smelling things, but they're not cheap. Well, what I do is I find qual- usually, sometimes I, I spring for really small amounts of good stuff, but I usually f- uh, find clones of high-end fragrances, and I even buy samples of the clones. <laughs> JC, that's not funny. <laughs> that's high class right there, right? Hey, you know... Uh, so this right here is a sample of a clone of a fragrance called Elysium. Probably never heard of that, but it's by a guy named Roja Dove. And this is actually a combination of two versions of that uh, fragrance, Elysium. If I were to put the real thing, a combination of those two things, uh, in, in this little, most of this is the cap, by the way. This down here, this is three milliliters. Okay, this is three milliliters. If the real stuff was in here, it'd be $15 for that. And that sounds crazy. Now, what if this little vial, I told you, was filled with something that cost $167 for just that much? If I bought it, you might shoot me. 
right? You think I was crazy. Um, and you probably <laughs> may be right. But then just pretend, that, though, that I decided to go out and buy a 12-ounce container of it. You know how much that would cost? $20,000 for that. Now, again, that's pretend, <laughs> right? Um, but what then if I thought, man, I, not only is this fragrance so special to spend $20,000 on 12 ounces of it, but I think I'm so special that one day I'm going to crack this thing open and just pour it on myself in one day because I think me smelling great for that one day, I'm worth that. <laughs> You'd think I was insane. Would you not? And it's probably justified. Um, uh, I mean, just think of what else I could have done with all that money. Yet I've, I've spent it on this little, or big, 12 ounce of fragrance and just spilled it on myself for one day. As you're going to see as we go along today, the idea of worth is going to be front and center in what we're talking about. Namely, we're going to be talking about the question of, of what's Jesus worth, is what's going to be at the heart of the thing. So this morning, we're going to see a scenario pretty much like I just described, where we see that the person um, who is going to have about $20,000 worth of today's money and fragrance spilled on him in one day at one time is Jesus. Um, so if you're a note taker, and I hope you'll take notes today, it's going to be a while before we get to sort of like the main takeaway points. So hang in there, note takers, hang in there. But I want to set the groundwork like a proper foundation so that you can more clearly receive the points once we get to them. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll be about halfway through. Laying the foundation, and then the other half, the points will hit quick, okay? Uh, that, that's what we'll do. Things in the life of Jesus, then, are actually coming to a head here pretty quickly in the Gospel of John. Um, as Boaz just read uh, to us there in the Scripture, it's getting pretty heated. There's pressure coming into the life of Jesus. There's a plot to kill Jesus going on. Um, the best timelines that we know of would put this, because we can kind of date Jesus' birth somewhere between 4 and 6 B.C., uh, and, and they date the Jewish Passover really precisely every year. This may be about Saturday, March 28th, where we find ourselves in the Scriptures. And Jesus then, according to that calendar, um, would die on Friday, April 3rd, for five days from the crucifixion of Jesus. So while there are nine chapters left in the Gospel of John, there are five days left in the earthly life before the crucifixion of Jesus. And so John is going to be giving us vivid detail. And um, the reason that is, is because what we're going to talk about today is probably the most important thing that you could ever get. Um, and over the, this next nine chapters, John's going to build on this theme of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In case you want to study this more later, these, this event today is also in the, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. There's a similar event in Luke where a woman anoints Jesus, but the details are drastically different, right? So that's a different lady. Um, but Matthew and Luke you can go back and look at. And again, John is giving us the reason here that Jesus hit the planet to begin with. You know why Jesus came here? To die. He intentionally came here to die. And of course, raise again. But in order to raise, you must first die. 
So Jesus came to die. Now you read before in the passage leading up to this where Boaz was, it says that there was pressure on Jesus. He was under threat of his life. And what did he do? He retreated to a town called Ephraim. He's going to hide out in a relatively safe place. But now's the time. That wasn't the time. Now's the time. And Jesus is now intentionally going to march toward his own crucifixion. It's on purpose. And again, it's why he, God the Son, took on humanity, took on human flesh in the first place. He will accomplish his mission. And we saw that. We pick up where we were in John chapter 11, verse 52. Look at the end of where you read uh, earlier with Boaz. You see this kind of pick up, this intentionality from Jesus. Verse 57 says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them, he being Jesus, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. And why did they want to arrest Jesus? Back up to verse 53, it says, They were making plans to kill him, to put him to death. So they wanted to arrest Jesus, to kill him. And if anybody sees Jesus, let us know so we can arrest him and kill him. They know the Passover's coming. So in that passage you read earlier, they're like, is he coming to the Passover? They're laying in wait for Jesus. They're hoping he shows up so they can arrest him and kill him. So then Jesus was in a relatively, he went to a relatively safe place in Ephraim. Ephraim was 12 miles from Jerusalem where this thing was boiling for Jesus' death. So how does Jesus respond to this threat on his life now? Let's keep reading in chapter 12. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Where's Bethany? Anybody know? You're like, big deal. He came to Bethany. Who cares? Um, the reason that's important is because Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus leaves relative safety in Ephraim, 12 miles away under threat of death, intentionally walks toward death to Bethany, where he had raised Lazarus from the dead, two miles away from where he's going to be crucified. So again, it gives us the historical setting, six days before the Passover. Um, Again, this Passover meal is where they waited for Jesus to show up so they could kill him. What's Passover? Passover is a Hebrew celebration where they celebrate God delivering them out of Egyptian slavery. And the reason it's called Passover is because God brought the plague of death upon Egypt. And God said to the Hebrew people, if you will put the blood of a lamb, sacrificial lamb, over your doorpost, that death will pass over you and you'll be spared and I will free you from Egypt. That's why it's called Passover. And now here, the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the final sacrifice, the complete sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is walking into the Passover meal for sacrifice. And so that's the setting. It's 1,500 years they've been waiting for this. So we're seeing history play out on a stage here. Jesus is fulfilling the very reason He came. Um, so we're, we're seeing history play out. So what happens? Let's get into our passage. John chapter 12, pick up, picking up in verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there, him, Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. 
Mary therefore took a pound, that's a Roman pound by the way, about 11 and a half ounces. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Let's pause there and clear up a little note. Most of you have the ESV. You probably see a footnote there in your ESV. It says, uh, or that she intended to keep it for the day of my burial. And I think that's a better translation because clearly she didn't keep it. She had just poured it out, right? So she had intended to keep it for Jesus' burial. Continue uh, burial, continue in verse 8. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Man, what a strange event. Uh, it's kind of sad. But it's definitely beautiful. And what we are seeing in this passage is Jesus' worth on just vivid display. And that's what we want to talk about today. What is Jesus' worth? Worth is the level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. So we are rating Jesus today. Worth, uh, we get our word worth from an old English word, um, our, our word worship from the old English word worth. Worship actually means worth-ship. We are ascribing worth to something, so much worth that we worship it. And so when Christians say we worship Jesus, it's acknowledging Jesus for who He is and what He's done. And He does what He does because of who He is, right? Um, so plainly then, I want us to see a few things about Jesus' worth. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is. Jesus is worthy of our worship. There are kind of three facets that I think this passage has in it, sort of like blazing truths I want us to focus on today. The first one of those is that Jesus is worth our worship and, and He's worth the cost of our worship. You've got Mary, this seemingly unassuming woman, uh, has apparently saved up an entire year's blue-collar wage in that day, 300 denarii, um, for what essentially would be 12 pounds of perfume. This is not perfume. This is ghee butter, <laughs> but, but 12 pounds of perfume. She spent a year's worth of money on this thing, and verse 3 tells us, that it was pure nard. What is pure nard? Spike nard uh, is a, a fragrance oil from the Himalayan mountains. They're in Bethany, right? Two miles outside of Jerusalem. The Himalayan mountains in northern India are 3,000 miles away. It's the only place this stuff grows. So for this common woman, for all we know, in Bethany, to get a very rare fragrance 
from the high elevations of the Himalayan mountains 3,000 miles away, you might imagine why it cost a year's wage to get it here. So why in the world did she spend the equivalent of today's money of $20,000 on this perfume? I mean, no doubt it was a significant financial sacrifice for her. Can you imagine? Um, And not only did she spend spend, uh, a year's income on fragrance, but she broke it and poured it all out. So in, in our common eyes, not only did Mary waste her money buying fragrance for $20,000, but she also wasted what she wasted her money on. She broke it and poured it out in one day. Can you imagine? When I buy an expensive fragrance, I make that thing last forever, right? <laughs> and I'm not spending $20,000. Expensive for me is like 90 bucks, and that's, that lasts me about five years. Honestly, I'm not kidding. JC, again, that's not funny, bro. JC, by the way, also collects fragrances. Okay, so he, he's laughing at me from knowledge. He knows. Um, so then Mary, uh, that, that's a financial cost. Then Mary lets her hair down in public. Now, this would cost her her reputation in that culture. Um, it was seen as a woman of ill repute would be the only type of woman to do such a thing. A woman of low moral standing, if you will. Um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that a woman's hair was considered her glory in that culture. And here Mary is symbolically using her glory in that culture to wipe the feet of Jesus. She's using what would be her glory to give Jesus glory glory. Um, She, like Paul, recognizes that any righteousness or glory she might have is but filthy rags compared to the glory of Jesus. So Mary is at the feet of Jesus, let down her hair in public, ruining her reputation, but her reputation is worth ruining, she says, if it means she can worship Jesus as he deserves to be worshiped. And in wiping Jesus' feet, she's taken on the role of a slave in that culture. Slaves did that. And so she's cleaning Jesus' feet as a slave. So she's cost herself finances. She's cost herself her reputation. And here she's costing her social status at this party. She's gone from being a, a person who was a, a guest in the house. And we think she was at, they were at Simon the leper's house. You can read that in Matthew and, and Mark, um, a man who was healed from leprosy. So she was a guest in the house, but she didn't behave as a guest. She behaved as a servant, as a slave, by wiping the feet of another guest. And she did it with her hair. It's amazing. Um, So she's lost her dignity now in front of her peers. This act of worship by Mary has cost her her money, has cost her her dignity, has cost her her social standing, has cost her her reputation, among other people, yet Mary sees that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is clearly worth the cost of her worship, and it cost her everything. But she says Jesus is worth it. Jesus is not only worth the cost of our worship, Jesus is also worth the priority of our worship. Not just the cost, but also the priority. Notice 
um, how it tells us who else was in the room. Again, uh, we assume all of Jesus' apostles were there. It's 12 people. Then you also have Jesus. You have the host, Simon the leper. Now, actually, Simon the former leper. Jesus had just healed him, right? Then you have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus there, whom Jesus had raised from the dead uh, just previously. And then also notice that, again, Jesus, the man who performed those miracles, is in the room. But notice what is not mentioned anywhere in this account. There's no recounting of Simon the leper. He said, man, I I was healed of this incurable disease. Let me tell you all all about it. You don't hear anything there about that. There's not even a dramatic retelling from Lazarus. I was dead for four days and stinketh, right, in the King James. You don't even hear Lazarus talking here. In fact... You don't hear anybody talking. You don't hear anybody saying anything. You just see quiet, humble worship. Now, in any gathering, if you've got a guy who's been healed of an incurable disease like leprosy, or in any gathering where you have a guy who's been raised from the dead, those things would rightfully be the focus of what's going on, would they not? And here you have both these cats in the same room. Yet... Neither in John's account, nor in Matthew's account, nor in Mark's account, do we hear them say anything. Now, would it be wrong for them to be talking about what God's done for them? No, it would not be wrong. We should say what God has done for us. And it certainly wouldn't be wrong to praise Jesus directly, who was also in the room, right? We can make Jesus the center and like, Dude, you're the man, right? Like, thank you for those things that you've done. And we would be right to do so. We'd be right to do so. And it, it truly is likely that they probably did talk about these things. I don't know how they couldn't. But it wasn't the, the focus. It wasn't the priority. In fact, it was so, those things were so, uh, less of a, so much less of a priority that neither John, Matthew, or Mark even mentioned it. But they do mention something that Jesus tells us in Matthew and Mark, anywhere the gospel's preached, this act of worship by Mary will be known, right? And so we are here where the gospel is preached today, talking about this event. Um, John doesn't mention it. Again, like I said, neither do Matthew or Mark. It's because the the miracles aren't the point. What Jesus did or does for us is not the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus himself is the point, not exactly what he's done for us in in our past, although we can all give testimony, or hopefully give testimony. If you can't give that testimony, you need to know Jesus. Uh, We'd love to talk with you about that more. Uh, But Jesus is primarily the point. Again, not what he's done, but who he is. And of course, there's Judas in the room. There's Judas in the room. The passage tells us that Judas... Spoke up and said, man, this is a good waste of money, right? And the other gospels, Matthew and Mark, tell us that the other apostles agreed with him, except for John, apparently. Judas wasn't the only cat saying this. The other guys agreed. And um, Judas was like, well, you could have spent that money on the poor. Jesus' response to Judas is weird. Check this out. Verse 7, he says, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. 
For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. What? Does Jesus not care about the poor? And what an arrogant statement that is. Can you imagine? You know, I know those people are starving. They haven't eaten in days. But what I really think you should do is spend that money that could feed all those poor people on $20,000 of this fragrance and pour it out on me in one day. I think I'm worth that. Can, what? That's, a, that's the most arrogant thing I've, I've ever heard. And it would be arrogant if it were a mere human being saying it. But consider who's saying these words. This is the man, the God man, who created Spikenard. <laughs> this is the God man who created the people in the room. This is the God man who created the world that Judas is saying should go out and be blessed with that money. He is sitting here among you. He is God in the flesh. He is worthy of, that's not enough to worship Jesus, let alone too much. Jesus is worthy. Um, Besides, John points out that uh, this, this cry from Judas, that you should use this money to help the poor, wasn't a genuine thing. He says that Judas was in charge of the money bag, and he wanted the money bag to be bigger because he was stealing from it, therefore he could steal more money if the bag was bigger. You can insert your own political joke right there. Uh, but Jesus says that Judas was not interested in helping the poor, he wanted more money, and Jesus actually didn't say not to help the poor, did he? He didn't say that in there. Jesus said that he was about to go die. And Jesus about to go die was the point of the whole gathering, was the point of Mary saving for who knows how, how long to get this fragrance to pour out on Jesus. Jesus is the priority of that gathering. And I'm telling you, when we gather and when we scatter as Reach Life Church, Jesus is the priority of us as a church. He's worth the cost of our worship. He's worth the priority of our worship. Um, individually, as Christians, Jesus is worth our priority. Now, it's easy to get distracted with the things of life, is it not? As a church, it's easy to get distracted with like, man, we gotta we gotta repaint the wall, we gotta keep the temperature right, we gotta, you know, we, we gotta uh, help our homeless friends, and those things are great, especially helping our homeless friends. We should be listen. Let's be clear: as Reach Life Church, we believe that our communities should be better because we're in them. We do, but our service to our fellow human beings is born out of our worship of Jesus. You follow me? It's a reflection of Jesus' grace to us in forgiving our sin and, and making us children of God. So we want everybody to experience that love. And it gives us a heart for those people like God has a heart for those people. And it gives us a heart for one another like God has for us in here. Does that make sense? So we clearly should have uh, those things as important, but they are not our defining characteristic as individual Christians, nor as a church. If we wanted to just be about social things and, and helping people, that's not a church. That's a 5013C organization, nonprofit, but it's not a church. You follow what I'm saying? 
The church is about Jesus, you guys. Jesus is the priority of our worship. Um, it's got to be the, the primary thing. Um, again, because of Jesus being who Jesus is, he deserves our priority. I think Mary gets this. Mary gets this when she's anointing Jesus with her hair at his feet in front of all these people. Four classes of people um, were uh, anointed in those days. Uh, three classes of people that I have here were anointed ceremonially in those days. Kings, they were anointed as king. Priests were anointed as priests. Prophets were anointed. Fourth class, people who are about to die. People who had died, their bodies were anointed and packed with spices and expensive things. Certainly Jesus is all those things, is he not? Jesus is king. Soon to return, we learn from the book of Revelation. Jesus is the great high priest, we learn in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the final prophet, messenger from God, we learn throughout the Gospels in our New Testament. Jesus is all those things. And we're reading here in our passage that Jesus is also the fourth thing. Jesus is about to die. And Mary gets it. I don't know how she got it, but she got it. Um, she's, not, she's saying that Jesus isn't only those things. Jesus is those things to me, Mary says. Jesus is king. Jesus is God. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate messenger from the Father, the Savior dying for the world. You can believe that, but do you believe that for you? Do you accept that for you? Is Jesus your king, your savior, your prophet, your Messiah, your savior? Is Jesus those things for you? So in a few days here, he's going to his death and Mary, Mary gets it. And I think, I think Mary, you know that Mary uh, saw Jesus raise her brother from the dead. Mary had heard that Jesus had predicted his own death. Mary had heard that Jesus also said, "In three days you'll tear down this temple of my body, and I'll, I'll, or you'll tear down this temple of my body. In three days I'll raise it up." Jesus had predicted his own death and his own resurrection. So I think Mary, since she gets it, I think she's actually worshiping the soon-to-be risen Savior as well. So Jesus is worth the cost of our worship. He's worth the priority of our worship. I think ultimately Jesus is worth a life of worship. A life of worship. I think that's the response of everybody in the room there except for Judas. They're all disciples of Jesus, are they not? They're followers of Jesus. And we read at the end of our passage that because of Lazarus' testimony, people were going away and believing in Jesus. We've talked about in here what belief in Jesus is. It's like I'm believing in this stool to hold me up today. I'm trusting it. My whole self is on it. If it goes, I go. Right? But it holds up Kevin, so it'll hold me up. Right, brother? <laughs> yes, sir. Kevin's like, like the densest dude in the world. Like, just brr. Uh, so if it holds up Kevin, it'll hold me up. Right? Uh, that's just physics. Right? And listen, uh, these people are going away and believing in Jesus. They are giving their lives. They're, putting, they're saying, Jesus, 
I can't save myself. I didn't create myself. I didn't give myself life. You deserve my life. That's what believing in Jesus, believing on Jesus is. So what have we learned about Jesus through our, our journey through the Gospel of John? We're going to be taking a break in it for a couple of weeks. What have we learned about Jesus so far through the Gospel of John? We've learned that Jesus is the Creator God. We've learned that Jesus is the, the ultimate teacher of truth. He's the ultimate prophet. He's the healer of the sick. He's the judge of righteousness. Not only is he the judge, but he's also the forgiver. He will save you from righteous judgment that he gives. It's an amazing thing. Um, and he's the one who's going to reign over all the earth. And in just a few weeks, when we pick it back up in the Gospel of John, we will remember that this same God of heaven and earth is going to take on the very role that Mary has taken on right here. And he's going to as a servant, wash the feet of his disciples. Unbelievable. Only God in the flesh can exhibit that kind of humility and still be God. Incredible. Incredible. And Mary here is preparing him for what is going to be his ultimate humility, his ultimate really humiliation, and that is his death on the cross. These things, Jesus being God, Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being the Savior, mean that Jesus is worth everything. <laughs> He's worth everything. Not just $20,000. Not just you waking up and coming here on a Sunday. Not just you maybe praying before a meal. Jesus is worth your life. Jesus is worth my life. Jesus is worth our church. Jesus is worth everything. And that's really what worship is, isn't it? Worship is, is giving everything. Um, theologian William Temple says this. He says, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination, don't we all need it, with His beauty the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of the will, don't we all need it, to His purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. Jesus is worthy of that. Harold Best, another theologian, says that worship is the sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. What are you mastered by this morning? Whatever you're mastered by, that's what you're worshiping. You say, well, I call my own shots. You know, I'm self-made man or woman. Um, kindly, let me say to you, you're not a self-made man or woman. But in that attitude, you're worshiping yourself. Are you worthy? Are you worthy? Me either. Me either. But Jesus is. Listen, you will, you do worship something. The question is, is it worth it? Is it worth your everything that you're giving everything to? Because you are worshiping something. We're, we're made for that. That's just what we do. We, we worship something. Usually it's us. Usually end up worshiping ourselves. And I would argue that only Jesus 
is worth it. A good way to help you prepare, we always do the Lord's Supper at the end. A good way to help you to prepare for that and kind of let the Spirit of God begin to analyze your heart is to, I want you to have three questions in mind as we kind of come to a close. Three questions. What level does Jesus deserve to be valued? Think about that. What level does Jesus deserve to be valued? Second question. What level do you value Jesus? Okay, we know what he objectively deserves. Ask the Spirit of God to check your heart right now. What level do you value Jesus? And thirdly, does your life demonstrate that you value Jesus as he should be valued? A good way, uh, you know, maybe it's just how you want, to, you want to value Jesus. But the question is, do you value Jesus? A good way to test that would be to ask someone else about how they perceive you valuing Jesus. If you're married, ask your spouse. If you're single, you got a roommate, ask your roommate. Ask your closest friend. What kind of value would you say I demonstrate in my life that I give to Jesus? So those are some things to think about as we turn to the Lord's Supper. Remember, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. All of our nature to God. It's about surrender. And that's what we see here in the text. We see Mary surrender. Everything. Her relationship with other people, her, her, the perception of how she's perceived, her finances, her social status, her reputation, cost her everything. She says, Jesus worth it? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. You think, man, how could it be? How is it even possible that Jesus says, and here's the Christian claim. Jesus says that when you... This is the weirdest thing. It's so countercultural. Jesus says when you bow everything you have to everything that he is, he, he, um, he passes a new title to you. You who were once an enemy to God, Jesus gives you a new title. You know what that title is? Son or daughter. He says you who were... A, re a rebel to God, are now given this title called righteous. This title called spotless. He says that you who are the enemies of God can now be God's friend. Unbelievable. And I hope you can get that. You can be a friend of God. Now listen, God is righteous. You know what that means? There's zero sin in God. And God's a great judge. Let me give you a courtroom analogy. God's a great judge. He's a perfect judge. He can't turn a blind eye to sin. That's not a good judge. He's righteous. He's got to pass judgment upon it. And God's the only righteous judge. So we can't judge each other. I can't judge you. You can't judge me. Jesus will. So here's the deal. Because he's a good judge, if you have one little piece of unrighteousness in your life, that is guilt. What we're reading about is Jesus being anointed for a time where he takes off his judge robe, puts on a scarlet robe, 
that he would then be stripped of and beaten to take the penalty for our guilt. You don't have to carry that anymore. They don't have to separate you from God and one another anymore. Give it to Jesus. And the way you give it to Jesus is letting him take it from you by letting him take you. Like this before Jesus. It's the only appropriate response. That's how it happens. That's the gospel. He will make you new. Do you guys understand that? Not only did Mary hold back no cost for worshiping Jesus, Jesus held back zero cost in paying the price for us. He gave his life. Amen. And when Jesus, you accept that life that Jesus has given for you, he gives you his new life. He gives you his righteousness because he took his sin upon, he took your sin upon himself. I want us to spend some time in prayer before we get to the Lord's Supper. Remember, this Lord's Supper is representing Passover, the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is that lamb. This blood represent, this uh, juice represents his blood spilled for us. This bread represents his body broken for us. If that's confusing to you today, that's okay. We want to talk to you more about the gospel. Please come see one of us, okay? Let's spend some time in prayer. And then when you're ready, you can come down and take the juice and the bread, take it back to your seat and eat and drink and remember Jesus. He paid everything. He is worth your everything. Let's pray.